Hello, everyone. Welcome to Setter Talk. I am your host, Kyle Warren. This is our introductory episode. In this podcast series, we're going to be discussing the world of setters and everything we do with them. I've been thinking that it might be really cool to have a podcast show that's really dedicated to setter people. After all, we're an interesting bunch. Um, And what better way to spend your drive to or from work or to and from your hunt location or just before you go to bed, whenever you watch your podcasts, um, to really hear out a bunch of setter people around the country, hopefully around the world. Uh, We'll see what kind of interviews we can get going. I have a long list, and hopefully we're going to have a lot of... uh, participants uh, across all setter breeds, but really looking forward to sharing uh, my experiences with you and looking forward to hearing the experiences of setter people from all across the world. When we look at uh, talking about bird dogs, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is uh, and confusing is that, you know, you can take 10 people and have 12 perspectives on the same subject. Uh, certainly, yeah, this can make things interesting and challenging and confusing. The hard part with everything that people discuss is that most of the time, a lot of them are not wrong. Things are just different. And when we talk about a breed like the English setter that has such a broad spectrum of type, uh, whether we're talking fieldbred dogs, Ryman's, Llewellyn's, variations within each of these different strains, Uh, And then you look at breeders across the country that they have their own preferences for what they look for and what they want to see, even within each of these different uh, groups. It's really uh, makes for some fascinating and sometimes heated conversation. Uh, I really look forward to trying to get people on the show from each different type of group and facet so we can all learn and just see things from their perspective. Um, it's a, a very uh, heated topic when we start talking about all the different types of English setters and trying to match them to certain standards, whether we're talking testing, trialing, hunting. And while it's uh, fascinating, uh, one of the things that I really, really uh, want to do here is get everybody as informed as possible on all the variations and how each type of setter uh, has its market, has its own uh, specific niche for who's going to really be interested in that type of dog, depending upon what they like and what they do. We're also going to be talking about Irish setters, Gordon setters, and red and white setters as well. Um, I really admire all those breeds and really look forward to hearing from people that have a lot of expertise uh, with all of those uh, different set of breeds. We're certainly going to be talking about bloodlines, breeding, books, gear, training, and a lot more other things that we're going to put on the table uh, given uh, the diversity that we have within our setters. Uh, There's no one pointing breed, like I mentioned earlier, that has such a broad spectrum of type, and we're a very passionate bunch. Um, And when we talk about uh, everybody's different experiences and perspectives with the type of setter they have. Um, Hopefully it'll be very enlightening for everybody that has setters that are quite different um, and also the same as our our guests on the show. In this first episode, I also wanted the listeners to become more familiar with me, your host. So a little background on myself. 
Um, I've had dogs my whole life. I've started really sparking a passion for dogs when I was 10 years old. Uh, that's when we got our first bird dog, Jesse, a German short-haired pointer. Uh, I was really fortunate, grew up in a dog breeding family, two of my aunts bred dogs, one of my aunt's sisters bred dogs, uh, they own a pet food and supply store, so I was always around a lot of dogs, I was able to get my hands on several hundred dogs when I was really young, into my teenage years, uh, when I was 16 I professionally started training, we converted our small uh, barn that we had cows, pigs and chickens in to a dog kennel and pretty much right away I had 12 to 13 dogs which is what I could fit in there. Uh, for a number of years, graduated high school, and everything just kept growing. I was full-time training the dogs. Uh, I also worked for several years part-time as a veterinary technician in both private and emergency practice, where I learned a tremendous amount uh, there, and to this day, uh, I'm very thankful for that time uh, and experience as well. Throughout my youth, I've had a number of dogs from German Shorehair Pointers to Vishlas, Wired Hair Vishlas, a couple Britneys, and then of course uh, Llewellyn Setters. And pretty much from 2004 to current, I've exclusively had Llewellyn Setters. Um, I hunt grouse and woodcock avidly, 80 to 90 days a year. I hunt over a thousand miles uh, on my feet and between 450 and 500 hours uh, in the woods every year. And uh, I just love it and wouldn't change it for the world. In my mid-20s, as far as non-hunting dogs, uh, I had both German Shepherds and Llewellyn Setters, and I was breeding German Shepherds, uh, working line German Shepherds, for law enforcement and search and rescue for nearly a decade and had a, a great time doing that. I really learned a tremendous amount about scent theory and behavior uh, where, you know, with German Shepherds uh, looking for humans in the woods, you know, we're talking about a 100 to 300 pound scent source as compared to a one pound bird with our bird dogs. So that was a very enlightening experience for me. I had been hunting birds with dogs since I was 10 years old and here I found myself in my mid-20s uh, being blown away by uh, scent behavior and learning a lot more based on the size of the scent source, the age of the scent source, the terrain, and all that kind of stuff, which I look forward to sharing with you as we get deeper into this podcast series. Breeding both the Llewellyns and the Shepherds uh, was becoming overwhelming uh, just by sheer time and dog numbers. So I kind of had to make a choice as to what direction I was going to be going instead of breeding both. And uh, I feel that I, I got everything I could out of my time with shepherds. But about uh, eight to nine years ago, uh, I felt that I really um, wanted to start to shift to just the Llewellyns uh, because I felt that for the type of dog that I love to hunt grouse with, um, and the current status of the breed in regards to their, their health and the size of the gene pool, and we're going to get into all that kind of stuff in some episodes ahead, um, that I needed to commit myself to uh, the type of dogs that sparked my passion in dog training, in the dog world in general, and that was bird dogs, and most definitely the Llewellyn Setters. 
So over the years, I've kind of phased out the German Shepherds. I'll always have one or two. Uh, they're great dogs. And uh, just like with the bird dogs, you know, great breeding means a lot. And uh, I, at present, uh, have two. Uh, one's a 11 and a half year old uh, West German working line shepherd named Zyla, who's a sweetheart. She was also cadaver trained for back in her heyday. And then uh, I have a year and a half old uh, dog named Nana who is an East uh, German uh, Shepherd, uh, DDR Lines, and she's a phenomenal dog, family dog. She goes to work with me every day, working with clients as a demo and distractor dog. Uh, I'm just thrilled that we have her as well. But with the Shepherds, I had mentioned that I did search and rescue uh, 23 dogs that I bred in the time that I was breeding Shepherds were on uh, search and rescue teams across the state of New York. Uh, we belonged to NIFED SAR, uh, our team that I was on and I was a training officer for, uh, New York State Federation of Search and Rescue Teams. And uh, there was a handful of dog teams across the state. Um, I had uh, two certified dogs at any time. Uh, one of my dogs was Quacks. He was uh, trained in wilderness area search, which basically that type of dog uh, searches for a human being the same way that a bird dog searches for a bird. Uh, and that dog is not scent discriminant. He'll find any human in the area. Uh, our wilderness area search dogs are also cross-trained in cadaver. Um, obviously, when we're out there on a search, we don't necessarily know if the person we're looking for is alive or dead. Um, so we make sure that uh, the dogs will uh, indicate on uh, both uh, scent sources of both live find and dead. Uh, then the other dog that I had is um, Maya. Uh, she was, if, <laughs> you might hear uh, puppies in the background. I have a litter of uh, three-week-old uh, Llewellyn puppies right now, and one decides that it wants to uh, grace us with its presence in the first podcast <laughs> in a podcast series called setter talk i guess it's only fitting that setters actually talk from time to time <laughs> uh but uh getting back to the shepherds uh maya was my other certified search and rescue dog uh she was a tracking trailing dog she was a scent discriminant uh dog where i would give her uh an article of clothing whether it be a glove, a shoe, a pillowcase, um, uh, a sterile gauze pad that I wiped down a steering column, uh, anything like that to get the particular scent of the individual we were looking for. That would go in a sealed bag, and then I would present that article to her to smell at the start of uh, our last known point uh, for, the, for the subject they were looking for. And she worked on lead in a harness, um, you know, when, when I look at the synergy that I have with my grouse dogs in the woods and it's, uh, amazing. I know many of you experience it and it's one of the things, if not the thing that we love most about being in the woods with our dogs and, and, uh, hunting in the uplands. Uh, for me, my most connected synergistic experience I've ever had in my life with dogs, uh, even above and beyond, uh, that connection that I have with my bird dogs was being out training uh, and on missions with Maya doing that search and rescue tracking trailing work 
um, because we're connected by a lead and there's a, a constant uh, uh, communication that's so subtle, has so much nuance to it uh, in the line handling, uh, tense leash, loose leash, you know, uh, her communicating with me that she's lost trail, me helping her try to reacquire it. Uh, it's just an amazing experience, but uh, another another great example of where uh, I just learned so much about uh, scent behavior uh, with this dog. You know, she she did tracks uh, that were up to 51 hours old, um, aged uh, through heavily contaminated areas, including small villages with lots of other people, you know, actively walking around there, not just uh, over the course of the age of the trail. Um, she, she's done a, a track I'll never forget. It was 11 hours old, but in that time frame, we had two and a half inches of rain occur. This was a wilderness track on the side of a mountain, uh, that she nailed. Uh, she's established, uh, many direction of travel for, uh, missing people in searches. And, uh, uh, she had an epic 10 mile trail, uh, seven miles through wilderness and, and three of those miles uh, also were uh, on uh, on pavement, leading to uh, where a runaway teen had went um, uh, from a therapeutic uh, boarding school. So we, I have a lot of great stories with that dog and uh, just uh, the times in search and rescue with canines in general. I mean, I work with, with a handful of breeds. Uh, predominantly in search and rescue, you're dealing with uh, shepherds, goldens, labs, occasional border collies, some Dobermans, but certainly um, uh, labs and, and uh, shepherds were the two breeds that uh, we saw most uh, in our tracking trailing world. Certainly we had a few hounds, including bloodhounds and uh, other various types of shepherds and Dutch shepherds and Malinois, um, but uh, just a great time in my life and uh, uh, one of the things I'm most grateful for. Bouncing around on the historic timeline a little bit, uh, 2004 was when I acquired my first Llewellyn Setter from uh, Lynn Hill Llewellyn's in Western uh, Pennsylvania, uh, now retired. Uh, I actually still have my original Llewellyn. Uh, her name is Rogue. Uh, she is, uh, she'll be 16 uh, in May. And uh, from the day I picked her up uh, to present, I've, I've personally raised a uh, uh, rounding out, uh, probably by the end of next year, um, will be about a hundred Llewellyns, um, up to and through their first hunting season myself. Um, and, uh, so I've, I've become very intimate with the breed. I've bred, uh, a couple hundred, uh, Llewellyns in 15 years and really have, uh, started to increase, uh, the frequency of my litters, over the last uh, seven or eight years as I'm trying to do my part uh, to breed very healthy Llewellyn setters uh, that perform in the manner that I like uh, in the grouse woods. What really drew me to um, going down the Llewellyn path with uh, a breeding program was all the dogs that I have worked with uh, in the grouse woods, uh, being my native bird and my lifelong obsession, uh, I, I, I never really knew <laughs> what a phenomenal grouse dog was, I felt, um, until I had Rogue. Uh, you know, all the breeds that I worked with, um, 
gosh, probably off the top of my head, a dozen different pointing breeds or more um, at that time. Uh, I just never seen a dog so innately handle grouse from the get-go in her first season. That dog pointed more grouse uh, collectively in her first season than all my other dogs probably did in their entire uh, careers combined. And, you know, she was just complete natural at point honor and retrieving, just had the right kind of caution, the right kind of connectivity with me. And uh, she was a wild child in our first year, and Llewellyn's often uh, can be. Uh, so she was a handful in that respect. But man, you put her in the field, put her in the woods, and she was just a dream. And uh, from that point on, I was absolutely married to the Llewellyn Sutter when it came to my grouse dogs. I've been on a long-standing mission to continually uh, improve the breed from my perspective of what I feel makes a great grouse dog. Uh, over the last 15 to 16 years, I've bought 77 Llewellyns from 11 different breeders and have tried to hold them to a very, very high natural ability standard. Um, that I feel I've, I've done a very good job with and certainly am always trying to improve. Um, uh, I've only bred out of 25% of those dogs. The other ones I've sold as uh, wonderful started dogs and many of them, most of them for that matter, have handled grouse very well. Um, but maybe they have too much range for me. They're not as connected to me as I would like. Um, they're a little too fast uh, for my liking. Uh, whatever the reasons have been, um, I, I'm always looking for what I just feel is that, that just right kind of dog um, that I have experienced uh, to be uh, most effective for my preferred type of hunting and that I have seen so many people also prefer in the grouse woods. There are a handful of lines of Llewellyns. Uh, I've, I've owned dogs from all of them. And there's good and bad in all the lines. Um, I've certainly have found where um, the type of dog that I'm looking for, uh, where those types of dogs exist in certain lines. And as a breeder, as uh, any other working dog breeder um, does, we try to focus on uh, fixing type the best we can, which is really difficult in this very small gene pool breed. Again, that we're going to be uh, having a lot of fun discussing uh, the ins and outs of uh, the Llewellyn gene pool and uh, things uh, uh, that I've been trying to do um, to uh, uh, get the get the strain of that of the English setter to survive and uh, all that goes into that. Jumping back to 2012, uh, when I was uh, looking for getting a, a round of pups to assess uh, to bring into the program from lines that I was very familiar with uh, in the Lynn Hill lines. Uh, I flew out uh, to the Upper Peninsula and uh, I decided that I wanted to st spend several days there and assess a litter. Um, I had a pick female of a particular litter and so I checked out the litter. Uh, I don't like to just sit there one time and judge a book by its cover. Maybe they were totally exhausted or something just spooked them and a noise uh, on the property or whatever it might have been. I, I like to see the litter multiple times uh, before I make selections, uh, not just from a uh, hunting dog perspective, but a potential breeding dog perspective um, in hopes that they cruise through all their assessments with flying colors in their development. Um, 
so when I was out there, uh, I just saw more birds than I, <laughs> you know, seen in a, a whole season back in New York, uh, where I've grown up and avidly hunted grouse since I was a, uh, young boy. Um, and I, I had the opportunity to spend time in Northern Wisconsin and had the same, uh, uh, bird contacts and, and just, uh, hiking walks on pristine grouse habitat, uh, uh, with a couple dogs. And I decided that I needed to, I needed to have property out here somewhere in the upper Midwest, uh, for somebody like myself that just lives and breathes, uh, grouse hunting with setters. Uh, I really needed, uh, I really needed that to be a part of my life. So I, I believe it was, uh, uh, it was November 15th that I flew out to, Michigan for the very first time and uh, never been there before. Uh, it was just always this magical place where there are a lot of grouse uh, that I read about in the Pointing Dog Journal. Um, and uh, on November 15th, I flew out there, spent a several days there, got in touch with a wildlife bio- retired wildlife biologist that also um, sells uh, real estate to hunters like myself. Um, I was flying back out there on December 1st to look at, um, to pick up the puppy. And I had set up, uh, eight properties to look at with, uh, this, uh, retired wildlife biologist. Um, and we looked at these properties. The first one that I saw, um, we saw a bunch of birds on, I was totally over the moon. We looked at the other properties, um, but I really liked that first one and, uh, then I think it was, uh, (laughs) December 21st, uh, I actually had a closing, uh, on my first, uh, parcel that I had ended up buying that, uh, grew into a very large camp property that I, uh, now own today that stemmed from that one. But, uh, November 15th, 2012, I never knew that I was going to be owning property in the Lake States. Um, and, uh, by, uh, uh, just six weeks later, um, I did. And that, uh, brought my Llewellyn's and my operation for the heart of the grouse hunting season, the last eight seasons, uh, to, um, to Michigan and Northern Wisconsin. And, uh, it's been a fantastic opportunity for my dogs. I've met a lot of wonderful people, and I just, uh, I'm very, very fortunate. Uh, and we have, uh, historically spent 50 plus days, uh, out there before we come back and, and hunt late season here in New York where I reside. So life with Llewellyn's is good. I can't complain. I always have a full plate running around like crazy person. Um, but it's generally a good kind of crazy for us dog people. To date, I've worked with over 4,400 dogs in one-on-one private lessons. Uh, uh, I'm usually running anywhere from 30 to 40 dogs uh, per week in terms of sessions, uh, whether it's at my place, their place, someplace in between, depending upon what we're training the dogs to do. Um, I'll see people from one to three times a week on average, and I'm working with people for everything under the sun, uh, by no stretch, just bird dogs. basic and advanced obedience. I'm doing bird dogs for both upland and waterfowl. 
uh, certainly search and rescue training for wilderness area search, tracking trailing. Uh, unfortunately, one of my local claims of fame has also become working with uh, uh, aggressive dogs over the last 20 years. So it's been a real, uh, been a real ride uh, for sure. Um, as far as bird dogs, grouse dogs in particular, um, my bread and butter. I have seen over 500 dogs run in the grouse woods. Uh, half of them have been English setters or English setter types. Um, that also includes several dozen flushers. They've always made for an interesting change of pace. <laughs> but uh, now and going forward in my uh, future career, um, it's just been continually uh, more and more Llewellyn's uh, all the time. And I'm very happy about that as I continue to dedicate uh, more time and resources to this breed and how I want to um, see this breed in the future. Um, I'm just really thrilled to be a part of it. Coming from the guy that owns more than a dozen dogs and trains several dozen dogs a week, uh, I always say to my close friends, while I train dogs for a living, um, I don't want to be known for being a great trainer. I want to be known for having great dogs. And I, uh, I work with a, a lot of dogs uh, of a lot of uh, varied genetic potential on a daily basis. And certainly the ones that have a greater genetic potential um, are a lot easier to train, a lot more fun to work with and certainly uh, a lot more fun to be out in the woods with. So I certainly am always looking for early developing dogs, uh, trying to be as rigid as I can on natural ability selection, um, point on a retrieve, and uh, just always showing that right kind of caution and synergy that I look for for hunting for the gun in my own dogs. Um, and I really want them to have an exceptional first season. Um, I myself don't subscribe to it takes uh, many years to, to make a great grouse dog. I think obviously experience always uh, makes a dog better. Maturity always makes a dog better. But in terms of being highly functional and successful with high point percentages and working great with the handler and being able to uh, produce points uh, that are going to uh, result in shooting opportunities day after day um, throughout the course of the season, uh, certainly young dogs can do that uh, between six months and 12 months old and uh, that sweet spot for me. Um, I always like to see my pups being at least six months old uh, when they're hitting their first season, preferably more like nine to 12 months old. I just feel that that's just an, an incredible age uh, to springboard some natural development success in the dog. And obviously you could have a dog with all the genetic potential in the world uh, you need to uh, you need to get the dog on contacts, and I'm a pigeon guy. Uh, side note, I guess from my dog world, um, that very much complements my bird dog world. Uh, I'm a fourth generation pigeon flyer in my family. Uh, I've been around pigeons since I was in diapers. My great grandfather and grandfather flew pigeons together. My grandfather lived right next door to me, and uh, he was uh, my mentor. Uh, in addition to all the other old men that every Friday night. And Saturday, I would spend at uh, the Pigeon Club. Uh, I raced pigeons uh, very competitively. Um, uh, since I was 20 years old, I've had my own racing loft uh, here in upstate New York. And it's uh, that's also been a, a, a wonderful uh, hobby uh, 
all into itself, uh, not to mention how it complements training bird dogs. Uh, I have several hundred homing pigeons, and they have pedigrees just like racehorses and bird dogs do. Um, I actually have uh, probably about 75% of the pigeons that I have, uh, their bloodlines haven't been in my family for uh, 70 years. So uh, there's a lot of history and a lot of pride um, that I have uh, with my birds uh, as well. And most definitely, uh, they help me uh, train my Llewellyns in the off season and bring my puppies, rear my puppies right up to their first season, uh, where I try to get uh, anywhere from 80 to 120 pigeon contacts and using launchers. And again, we'll get into training and stuff like that uh, more in future episodes. Um, and then we hit the grouse woods and I make sure that every pup that, uh, I hit a first season with, and I'm assessing to see if it can be in the breeding program, uh, gets its contacts. That's my job, our job. Our job is to make sure that our dogs get those contacts. And I do the very best I can to do that. And, uh, hunting, uh, as many hours and days and miles that I put on, um, I do that. So every dog here gets a fair shake. And we owe it to the dog to do that uh, for itself uh, and uh, for uh, trying to better the breed. Well, now that I've rambled on about myself for more than 20 minutes, uh, you guys have a, a hopefully a much better perspective on who your host is for Setter Talk. And I want to give you uh, some ways to uh, look me up and uh, contact me. If you want to get in touch with me in regards to a particular topic or guest on the show, uh, please email me at settertalk at gmail.com. Again, that's settertalk at gmail.com. If you would like to learn more about me and my Llewellyn Setters, please visit our website at paintriverllewellyns.com. You can email me there at paintriverllewellyns at gmail.com. I also have a Vimeo on-demand training series that you can go to Vimeo and look up Paint River Llewellyns. A development series specifically designed for soft-natured breeds, specifically Llewellyns, and certainly mine. And lastly, feel free to check out my dog training site, kylewarrendogs.com. I have a great little online store there with some digital products including an ebook for raising your canine companion and basic obedience how i do things i also have some great audio files on all the fundamental commands that are covered in the ebook okay well that's more than enough about me so going forward we're going to have some great topics and great people on the show i'm really excited to bring uh, this program to all the listeners and I look forward to our listenership growing. So that wraps up our first episode of Setter Talk. I am your host, Kyle Warren, and until next time, give your setter a scratch on the head for me, and have a great day.